So this series we put right after Easter, because I got to be honest with you, I have some annoyances with Easter, and uh, I'll share them here in a minute, but you guys are going, oh my gosh, a pastor has a problem with Easter, (laughs) and I do, and here's why. If you listen to the language of Easter, it's very selfish from a Christian perspective, and that's okay, but a lot of our language around Easter is like, oh, when he hung on the cross, he thought of me, and when uh, he died, he died for my, and all of that stuff is accurate and true and okay. However, Easter is just the beginning. Somebody say amen. It's just the launching point. And I think a lot of us, we celebrate Easter and he died for my sins and I'm forgiven and I get to go to heaven and we skip everything in between. So he died and he set us free and our sins are forgiven and we have this new life in Christ and it does provide for us salvation. And a lot of people, you know, you heard pastors say, well, you know, salvation is more than just uh, fire insurance or hell, you know, hell insurance or not going to hell or whatever. And, uh, and yes, all of that part is true. But in the meantime, we're here. And Jesus came and said, I've come to give you life and give it to you better. And he's talking about it now. And uh, of course, also in eternity. But so here we are now. And so a lot of our conversation about Easter and our, and our walk with God and a lot of our devotionals that we read and a lot of the bumper stickers and a lot of the things that we quote and paste are all of these Christian statements about ourselves and God, God for me, this, and we make them out to be this genie or this exchange that we have with, I'll do this for God and he'll get me this. And it's all about me. Whereas as you can see, we're going to try to set up this idea of that. Maybe God's design when we look at scripture is he came and died and set you free, but then he launches us into this Jesus and we type living. Somebody say amen. Uh, if you had a specific prayer list with you today, um, I got challenged by a pastor. This is gosh, probably six or seven years ago. Um, he asked me like what our prayer list is. And, um, and, and so I shared it with him and, uh, it was awesome because if a lot of us had like a specific prayer list, which you should, uh, but if we got it out right now, you would be really surprised to see how much of your prayer is, Hey Jesus, me, Hey Jesus, me. And then you say, well, no, that's not true. I pray for my kids. That's a me because it's our kids. We love our kids. Well, but I pray for my job. That's a you too. (laughs) You know, and a lot of the things that we really offer up and we pray and we spend time investing, you really could boil down to you, especially as a pastor, you're even more guilty. Well, I pray for my church and I pray, well, that's a you, that's a you too, because you care about your church as the pastor and whatever. Are you praying for other churches in town? Somebody say amen, right? Okay. And so if we look at our prayer list, right there is a good indicator of how we pray and the things that we talk about of how we can get away from Jesus in me to this Jesus in we. How can we change our shift, our thinking into more than just Jesus in me and what God can provide for me? Uh, There's a pastor friend of mine in in Kentucky. He's got a a big, cool church down there. And he says, um, they'd say, uh, a lot of pastors come into church and we say, Oh, we're praying for our city. God, give us our city. You know, and that's a, that's a legit prayer. We know their heart behind it. But they changed what they said, and they start saying, hey, God, give us to our city. Because it's a we thing. Like, our heart should be like, hey, we're here for others. And so when we planted this church, the idea behind it is... Uh, we're vertical church. Everything that we do should be vertical, giving glory unto God. Everything that we should do uh, should be making his name great and, and, and all that. But then our tagline that we use is that we're a group of people who are loving others towards God. And so I think the basis of how we're called to live is a people who are we-focused, people-focused, and then in that, all of that brings glory unto God. Somebody say amen. So think about it. At this time, they're waiting, you know, the, the 
the, the Jewish people, and, 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 and uh, this time they're all waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting, and they're looking, and they're searching for the Messiah. And, th- and then he comes, and he dies on the cross, and he ascends into heaven, and they're probably thinking, you know, what now? Like, you know, this whole thing, he came, and he saved us, and this, what now? And so they're looking, their eyes set on Jesus's conversation after coming back from the grave, sort of as we're just coming back from Easter, What's he going to say? He's risen. He's here. He's walking among us. What does he have to say? And much of his conversation goes from me to we. And so for these people, they're thinking he's come. He's set us free. He's leading the way. Now what? You know, maybe we're the elite or maybe we're now. Oh, oh, it's, it's turned really to his same message. Continue to serve and reach and love people. And so for us, as we celebrate Easter, as much as it is, he set us free and our sins are forgiven and all that kind of stuff, uh, that's good and that's positive, but we're in the same boat as those guys. Now what? It's the same thing. Love and serve and be about we. Amen? We all know the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus is leaving and he, and he leaves them with these words in the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16, verse 14. It says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So if you were here with us last week, we talked about the nonsense of uh, they came and they saw the tomb was empty and the women came back and said that they gave the story. They gave a witness of the tomb being empty. And the scripture says, but their words seemed to them, to those that were hearing it, to be like nonsense. Like, it's just nonsense. I don't get it. So now Jesus is coming in later and he's rebuking them for that. He's coming up and they're eating dinner. And uh, you know, mom and dad are mad when they interrupt dinner, right? Like you're eating and they come in and they're like, listen. So that's Jesus here. He's like, hey, I know you're having a meal, but listen. And he rebukes them and he says, you know, you were stubborn and you refused to believe uh, that he had risen. And then in verse 15. So you got to think whenever, because a rebuke, that comes from authority place. So you're coming in, you got something to say. Jesus has really thought about it. Obviously, he's thought about everything he said because he says, I don't do anything unless the Father has shown me or revealed it to me. But he comes in, he interrupts dinner, and he's there to make a point. And so I think he keeps it to the point. He comes in and says, hey, you guys are ridiculous that you didn't believe in it. You should believe in it. And now, now what? Verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He was fired up about it. And so he was making it clear. He's like, hey, you didn't believe and and you're ridiculous for that. And so here's what you're going to do. You're going to get up from this table. You're going to go clean your room. You know, kind of a, that was like, hey, you're going to get up and you're going to go preach the gospel and you're going to go reach people. Why? Because that's what it was about. That was the mission. It's like from here on out, it's going to be about we and connecting and reaching and loving on people. Amen. It takes we, it takes for the church to have its place in our community. And I'm not just talking about vertical church. I'm talking about church, uh, for church to have its place of influence and connection and all that stuff. It's vital place in the community. It takes we, uh, Bill Hybels has a church in Chicago and he kind of coined this phrase. He said that he believes that the church is the hope of the world. And, uh, well, isn't Jesus the hope of the world? Isn't that, but the scripture calls us, you know, we're the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And so the body of Christ is the hope of the world. And so when you look at politics and you look at, uh, maybe school systems, or you look at how you you know, the jobs are running government, all these kinds of things. And you go, oh, it's never going to be fixed. It's never going to be right. It's never going to be in a way I'm kind of faith filled in that. Why? Because if the church is the hope of the world, 
Maybe when we step up and operate the way that we should be, we can be an answer to all of those broken areas. Somebody say amen. But we have to understand this concept of we. Too often, again, I'll be repetitive, but too often we've, we've sold into this Christianity is about God and what I get, God and what I get. But the scripture all throughout is you're blessed to be a blessing. It's better to give than it is to receive. All these things are said. Why? Because there's power in we. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of us are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all those more as you see the day approaching, the day of of Christ coming back or sort of the end times. And uh, we won't get into all the big spooky end times, but I think if you read through scripture, uh, it would be pretty easy to make the case that we are living in the days that are approaching of the end times. There's crazy stuff taking place and, and Israel and all these kinds of things, these big biblical prophecies are, are, are starting to lay out sort of in front of our face. And so I believe we are in the days that are approaching. And so what does the scripture encourage here? It says, do not give up coming together, being a we together. What does that mean? It means church. It means this right here. Us coming together as people, loving and cheering each other on towards good needs or good deeds. Uh, and so, so I'm laying this out to say right here, even more so at the end of days, it's important for us to do this. The problem is the, the statistics say that people only come to church every other week. And so, and you've probably heard me say this. And so if there's 52 weeks in a year, let's say that you come 26 times. The problem is the average American spends 30 hours a week on social media. And so if you come 26 times a year to church for one hour, you have, let's say, 26 hours worth of influence in your life from the church. But if you spend 30 minutes or 30 hours a week on social media, just in one week, in one week, the influence on your social media can trump out your 26 hours of church. So I think even early on, this is pretty prophetic saying, hey, it's very important for you with all the influences that are going to be in these times. It's really important for you to come together and cheer each other on and encourage one another and, and hear the word. Somebody say amen. Because there's a lot that we have to navigate through. Um, you know, you got all these different things that are before Congress and all of it. It's important for us to come together and be on the same page and observe what God is teaching. We live in an I culture. The, the enemy or the devil or Satan or however you want to say it has done a really good job sabotaging the we idea. He understands that there's strength and unity. He understands that there's power if we can come together and if we can be uh, that whole thing. And so he's set up in our world a very slick culture that's very I culture. Now, I'm not here to come against iPad, iPod. That's not my point. But everything that we do is very custom. But let's replace the word with custom to selfish. Everything we do is very built for self. If you look at how we operate. Everything is custom to yourself and how you like it. And so our DVR, you can record your own show and you can have your own favorite channels and your own list and your own thing. And uh, even our mattresses are custom. It's like, uh, it's a, you hear the radio ad, it's like offensive if you don't have your, are you still sleeping on the mattress? That's the, like, oh my God, I am. Oh my God, I am. I got to go there. Where's the store? <laughs> And so everything is like, if, you're, if you aren't selfish, if you don't have your own specific custom, and all of those things are fine. If you have one of those beds, you shouldn't be late to church because you got a good night's sleep, and so it's, it's, you're fine. But here's the thing. 
all of that stuff is fine. Uh, I, my, we, some of you know this, a couple weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago, I got a new car. Uh, and so in it, on the CD thing, on the whatever, uh, reading through the book, just trying to figure everything out, on our radio, you can set users. And so, uh, so literally, I get in, and, and I can get in, and I can say, okay, I'm user this, because I'm selfish, and I want it custom, and it needs to be my way. And then my wife can get in, and she can set her own thing. And uh, again, because we have a two-year-old, um, really, it's her who gets whatever she wants. You know? So we get in the car, and we sing Peter Pan and Cinderella and all that stuff. And, um, and so it's pretty ridiculous. But again, everything is becoming custom, custom, me, me, me. And so it's like we're being trained to go, I only want to participate in this if it's my way and for my benefit. And what a ripoff. Because culture is crying for, will somebody come alongside me and do this with me? The number one longing psychiatrists say in the human heart is to feel connected or to feel a part of something, part of a family, to belong. You say, oh, if you look at how our kids progress, you know, you have a little one and then they, and so like my daughter, for example, she has Barbies. And so watching her play already, she's putting her Barbies together and she's got a little group over here and, and boys, they get their trucks together and they get their, and all throughout your stages of life, you're making these little pockets of things that what, that you belong to and you buy into superheroes because you feel a part of it. And then you, you know, all these different clubs and things as you grow up. Why? Because our desire is to feel connected. And so as Christians or as a church, if all we do is come and make it about us and what we can get from God and we're not coming alongside people and loving others towards God, then we're missing it by a mile. Somebody say amen. It's about Jesus and we. Amen? And so we got to be careful about this, uh, this culture because we're called to contribute, not to just be a user or a consumer. Um, there's this group uh, that I, I follow some of their stuff. And uh, they kind of help you with your sermons as far as um, they make sure you're balanced and you calendar well. And so part of how we plan out all of our structure and we're a year ahead on like that stuff. Um, it comes from this company that just helps you strategically. They're called the Preaching Rocket. And uh, they have this, this pie chart that they put up and they say, hey, um, based on statistics and what people want to hear, uh, here's sort of the genre uh, of how much time you should be spending preaching in these areas. And so if people were polled, what do they want to know about the history of the Bible or what do they want to know about this or whatever? And based on all the data that they found, they said to preach an effective church that meets the needs of people's demand, 60% of our sermons should be based on the individual, what they get, what they want, how they can better themselves. That's ridiculous. Somebody say amen. <laughs> okay, so we don't stop there. All right, so let's back up and go look at the, the Christian books that are sold. So here's all the best time sellers. Here's all the, what are they? Oh, my best life now and how I can be better and how I can be great and how I can be the best Christian now. All that stuff is fine and that content's good. But if that's all it is for us, what a waste. Somebody say amen. So as a church for us, we want to be a people that are Jesus and we, others, connected. Amen? The scripture even talks about that. You know, there's this debate of, hey, how do you be great in the kingdom of God? And the response is, if you want to be great, be a servant unto others. Be somebody who cares about others. We know the scripture that says, how will they know that we're the people of God? How will people, will be known by our love for others. How we connect to others, how we care about others. Um, even Jesus, there's a cool teaching I can't get into. But if you were to walk up to Jesus, if he was alive in his time and say, hey, uh, how's your spiritual life going? He'd be like, my spiritual life? What are, you, what are you talking about? 
because we're real good at like Jesus and me and God and me, and I'm, I'm working on my spiritual life, and I'm, and I'm growing my spiritual life. And so if you went up to Jesus and said, hey, how's your spiritual life? He'd be like, spiritual life? I don't even know what you're... Because in their minds, everything was spiritual. There was no, hey, a little bit of spiritual over here and a little bit. Everything we do has spiritual consequences. Everything we do is investing and reaping and sowing and giving. And so a spiritual life uh, is everything that we do. And so there is no, I'm working on being better. No, everything you're doing should be working on being better for everything we're involved in. I uh, was really annoyed this week. Uh, and I try not to fall into Facebook feuds um, because they just never end well, right? You know, you get somebody on there who's like, I just want to like copy and paste the person who loves to argue. Um, because at the beginning of the argument, they were arguing one thing. By the time they're done, they're actually arguing with their original comment. I want to be like, you know, you're fighting against yourself at this point, right? Like, what do you, but a lot of you have heard the Res Life Church in Granville is going through a frustrating thing with the illegal scam money and all that kind of stuff. And the frustration for me that breaks my heart in the culture that we live in is that people, and this is the majority at this point, uh, are pulling for churches to fail, for churches to close. And so, and, and for churches to not exist and people to not, and the problem with that is like, it's the church's fault. You know, it's, 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 we've lived as a church or as a culture that's been God and me. And we've built these churches all about our own brands and our own logos and our own, we built up all of our own pedestals and put ministers on these pedals instead of being a community that's, Hey, we love God and we love you too. Jesus and we, Jesus and we. Because here's the thing. Uh, there's a great saying that says, if your church closed, would the community ever know it? Would they even feel it? And here's the thing. No one would go on Facebook or go on the internet and, and bash us and, and come at us like churches should close if our church had influence in the community. Right. People should be going, hey, no, no, no. We can't have them close because they're helping the widow, they're helping the poor, they're better in the community, they're in our schools. We should be living in a place that people are saying, gosh, leave them alone. We can't let them close. We need the church. Somebody say amen. And so the problem with it is as a culture, as a church culture, we've gotten away from Jesus and we, and, it, and it's become all about us. And that's why the community is like, we don't need them. The community is like, we don't need them. I hope they close because they're not, they're not a part of my life. They're not a we. Amen. And so it's important for us to be a we. First uh, Corinthians 13.1 kind of talks about this. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. So it's talking about that you can be super deep and spiritual and you can have all this revelation and this big spiritual life. And that's cool. That's good. We strive for that stuff. But if you have not love, if you don't have a way to take those things and connect and relate and make it about a we and better your community, then the scripture says you have nothing. That's a good place to say amen. Like, yeah, that's good, Josh. Good job. It's good. <laughs> well done, man. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is somebody asking Jesus what is the greatest of the commands. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, or with all your strength. Well, that sounds like a Jesus in me. Yeah, it is a Jesus in me. That's one thing. Love your Lord your God with all your heart. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and then the second part that goes with that, he says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. These being together. 
Love God with all your heart. It is God. And then we. God and then we. Love God with all your heart, all your strength, all your strength. And then love your neighbors. Love the people in your community. Make it about others because that's the way God called us to live. You've heard me say this. We all want to be the chandelier in God's living room, but we don't want to be the nightlight in God's hall. But the nightlight in God's hall has helped more people from stumbling in the dark than a chandelier ever will. We want to be in the big chandelier and beautiful and people see us and talk about us and, and be on display. But the consistent, faithful little nightlight that's just there for people in their dark times is the thing that's going to make more of the difference. Somebody say amen. I'll close with this. Uh, Lauren, if you want to come play. I uh, was, um, actually, I was kind of putting this together and we got a little Fisher Price Christian music thing for Caroline. And uh, my mother-in-law uh, stayed at our house while we were having Charlie. And so um, we have a little iPod dock that has Caroline's music on it. And so my mother-in-law, who's like 100, was trying to run an iPod. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, she's so mad. I had to make the point. I'm just exaggerating the point. And so anyway, I'm trying to fix all the stuff that she messed up. This is a true story. This is a humor break. This is a humor break. Yeah, okay. I, what'd she say? I don't hear. He's, oh, she thought I was ending. I feel the Lord is saying, wrap it up. Um, yesterday, after all of this, this is when I saw this song and my whole point, which I'll get to in a minute, but I'm bunny trailing. I was fixing it all, you know, because she couldn't get it to work. It's a little iPod doc. It's got all this stuff. And yesterday when I was fixing it, Caroline said, uh, no Caroline touch. And I said, no, no, you don't touch that. She's not allowed to touch it. Mommy touch it. Yeah, mommy's allowed to touch it. Daddy's allowed to touch it. Yeah, daddy's allowed to touch it. She said, grandma not allowed to touch it. <laughs> grandma, she can't touch it. It will break. It was so funny. Yeah, totally. Um, so anyway, so I'm fixing all this stuff and I, and I see the song and I was thinking of the sermon, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, won't let Satan, you know, blow it out. And then it says, hide it under a bushel. No. And of course, none of us are going to be like, oh, I got this light of God. I think I'm going to go hide it. None of us would ever do that. But what we can do is sort of hermit it. And hermit mean being like a shut-in. And I think a good excuse that we use is, I'm not going to let my sh light shine. I'm not going to let my little light shine because I'm so busy making my light stronger. I'm over here and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get more spiritual and I'm trying to get this right. And so the bushel that we put on it is, is really covered in this. I'm trying to get more spiritual or I'm trying to do it and I'm trying to grow more and I'm trying to strengthen myself and I'm pursuing God. I'm and all of these excuses that we use to be more spiritual or whatever, instead of just going out and loving on people and connect and just letting our light shine with the bushel that we put it under can sort of be like this spiritual elite thing that we're trying to get to. And all of a sudden we never shine. I have all this revelation. I have all of this thing. And we use all this Christian language that people don't understand that's confusing and it puts a bushel over the light that we're just called to go shine. Somebody say amen. We all love the hero story. We go to the hero movies. They're the best in the box office. Our insides are wired to be the hero and to reach people and save somebody and change the work. But you can't just wake up one day and go, you know, today on my way to work, I'm going to drive past a car that flipped over is on fire and I'm going to save the baby. You can't just wake up and decide you're going to do that because it just doesn't happen that way. But you can get out of bed in the morning and say, God, today, spiritually, 
I want to save somebody who's in a burning building that's in a burning car. Put me in a place that I can connect with somebody who's hurting, who's depressed, who's frustrated, who needs love. Put me, and you'll, you'll be surprised that God meets you there. You'll be surprised that all of a sudden someone comes up to you. Hey, how's it going? Oh, the worst. My wife and I had this thing or my parent, you know, this, that, all these kind of things that are going on. Well, cool. Can I pray with you? You should come to church. Let me help you. Da, 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 da. That easy, you can literally save somebody from a spiritual car that's flipped over and burning. Amen? 1 John three seventeen, it says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, My children, let us not love in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Deed and truth. We got to be the people who just stop talking about it and start doing it. We come up with all the graphics and all the series and all the languages and we watch all the stuff, but, but like, we don't need any more books. We don't need any more devotionals. We need to just go out and start loving on some people. Amen. It's important. And I think a lie that the enemy tells us is like, well, in order to change somebody's life, you have to be in the ministry. You have to sing. You have to be a preacher. You have to do a thing. Ministry and the church had, like the church has very little to do with ministry. Like the church, Sunday morning, our hour, hour and a half, it's just where we come together and encourage one another and cheer us on that says, scripture says towards the good deeds that what that we do throughout the week. Throughout the week, you can love somebody. You can speak kind words. You don't have to be a pastor or in the ministry or on an org chart or anything like that. Take time to listen to somebody. Take time to speak life into somebody. Amen? Don't get caught up in what you think it should look like. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Where do you start? Scripture says right here, they started right where they were. How do you change the world? Look around. Start right there. We always think, oh, we've got to be this missionary and have this thing. He's saying, hey, go be a witness and start right where you are. Your work, your school, your job, wherever you are, start there. Matthew chapter 9, my last point, verse 10. It says, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors, which were the crooked people, the mob, they couldn't even give testimony in court because they were so shady. Uh, just bad people. I mean, like Spartan fans. They were just ugly people of their time. I'll use that joke every time. So they're sitting there, the tax collectors and sinners came and they sat down with him and his disciples, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw it, the religious people, when the religious people saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. Verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and that sacrifice for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And a lot of people take that as like, see, we got to go get the sinners. We got to get them to repent and call them to repentance. And we should stand because Jesus said he's here for the sinners. Listen, he said, those that aren't sick don't need a doc, don't need a physician, don't need a... What he's saying is we have to identify with the people that have a need. So what he's not doing, he's not going up to a sick person and going like, you're sick. Look at your legs blown up. You're bleeding everywhere. You should fix that. What he's doing is he's walking up and he's going, 
hey, help me. I'll, I'll help you. Let me fix you. Let me lead you. Let me help you in repentance and restoration of where you're off. I thought about our doctor because this, how stupid would it be if Jess is in labor and the doctor's just standing there yelling, you're having a baby. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'm a, like, I get it. That's why you're here is to help me. So you're here to help me, doctor. We do the same thing as Christians. We get up to the world and we say, you're a sinner. We know we're falling short. People know they're struggling in it. They don't want to be in it. No one wants to be stuck, an alcoholic, a drug addict, somebody who, we're, but all we do is get up and say, you're having a baby. I know, help me. That's why you're here. So we got to be the church that's like, hey, I'm here to help. Let's do this. Let's fix this. Why? Because the scripture says it's his kindness and goodness that leads us to repentance. Okay. And so Jesus and we, Jesus and we is how we're going to operate as a church. And so for the next three weeks, we'll talk about what it looks like. And next week we have our child dedication service. So everybody be here because that's a big deal where as a community, we can go, Hey, Jesus and we let's cheer these families on. Amen. Won't you stand to your feet? If you're in here, why don't you all bow your head and close your eyes? We're going to enter into a moment of prayer. But if you're in here this morning and, and you say, hey, Pastor Josh, I, I hear what you're saying, um, but I don't know where to start with God. I don't know how to pursue maybe a relationship with him. Or maybe you once did and you've fallen away, but today you're feeling like, man, I need to get in on this. I need to um, kind of clean some things up. I need the, the doctor or the physician to come in and, and, and help me here. The good news is, the scripture says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're on your way to heaven. Your sins are forgiven. And so if you're in here this morning, there's this thing called the sinner's prayer or the prayer of salvation. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything that would embarrass you with nobody looking around. All I'll do is give you the invitation on the count of three to just say, hey, that's me. I wanna pray the sinner's prayer. I wanna get my life right with God. If that's you here this morning, it's not an embarrassing thing. It's the greatest thing, in my opinion, that you can do is make a commitment to be a Christ follower. But if that's you in here with nobody looking around, you'll stay right where you are. We're just all as a group gonna pray the prayer out loud together, but it's a prayer that can change your life. Not only your life here, but eternity. So if you're here and you say, yeah, Pastor Josh, I wanna pray that prayer with the group. Um, if that's you, between me, you, and God, when I count to three, just raise your hand. And again, we won't embarrass you or call you out or anything like that. We just want to agree with you. If that's you, I'm three. Raise your hand. One, two, three. See that hand? See that hand? Anybody else? Cool. You're getting in on a great thing. Anybody else? Don't miss it. See that hand? Awesome. Well done, guys. We are cheering you in that. You can put your hands down. Let's all pray this out loud. Those of you that raise your hand, believe these words and know that your sins will be forgiven. You'll be on your way to heaven. You've made a commitment for Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's a huge thing. So let's pray this. Say, God, today I choose you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk with you. In Jesus' name.